You're listening to Fireside Chats Without the Fires podcast, where customer experience enthusiasts are inspired by our weekly CX practitioners and thought leaders who share their insights and knowledge. And now, here are your hosts, Neil Toff and Paul Catherall. Fireside Chats Without the Fires, Friday, September 3rd, and this one is going to be a great one. Audience, here's a little warning. Don't get shocked at the title of this. No, just kidding. Get shocked. Don't be offended. It's a great title. This title of today's session, the CX turds on the table. Yes, you heard right. Turds. CX turds on the table. Parenthesis. Please don't get offended. I promise you'll understand it in just a second. It is a wonderful opportunity to welcome to this podcast. Actually, for the second time, we're welcoming, welcoming him back, Rishad Tubakawala. Thank you so much, Rishad, for joining us. I'm going to introduce him in just a second, Rishad. But I wanted to make sure everyone can hear you uh, and let us hear your voice. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me back the second time. Uh, obviously, I wasn't good enough the first time, so you're giving me a retry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was actually the opposite. You were so good, but it was so brief the first time. We wanted to make sure we had you back. The background on that is that uh, we had the opportunity to, inter- to interview Rishad just prior to his uh, keynote at the AMA Ignite event uh, put on by the AMA chapter in Cincinnati. Um, we got to speak with him, and um, we really delved into this. Really, I'm going to just call it cool stuff, but it was too brief. We asked him to, for some time to come back, and here it is. He's, he's back with us. Um, for those that are not yet familiar with Rashad's work, I'm going to uh, introduce, as you should be following him on LinkedIn, but this is what's on his LinkedIn profile, Rashad Tabakwala, author of Restoring the soul of business, staying human in the age of data. And by the way, we're going to delve into his book uh, in just a little bit. So he's a book author. He is the advisor, author, educator, and speaker of Rashad Tabakwala LLC. He's the chairman of the Tabakwala Foundation. And he was the chief, chief growth officer and member of the management committee at the renowned publicist group. Or, or how, would we, how would we say in French? What would be a good pronunciation for that? It would be right. It would be publicist group. Publicis. Okay, maybe we'll change the U just a little bit, but but kudos to the French and for allowing us to to, to, to pronounce their, their name. But anyway, uh, Rashad, once again, it, it's great to have you. I want to just jump right in. There are two main things that I would like to ask you about. The first is about something you've recently posted on LinkedIn. And by the way, it's gotten a lot of traction, uh, lots of likes, lots of comments, lots of shares, lots of forwards, lots of uh, the same reaction that I have is, if you're not following this guy, you got to follow him. I've, I've seen so many people that have, have said that. Um, the title of the um, of the article is Dawn of a New Era, Reinvented Marketing. And I'm going to ask Paul to put up, for those that are watching this on YouTube, if it's not already up, um, here it comes, just a second. There's a graphic that you go into uh, depth and explaining it's called the ABCD of reinvented marketing. Again, if you are only listening to this, go to YouTube and watch this. Hold this slide up or just simply go to LinkedIn. You'll see uh, the numerous posts around this. The ABCD of reinvented marketing. Rishad, tell us what the ABCD is, please. Sure. The ABCD is A is for audience, B is for brand, C is for content, D is for data, and E is for enterprise. And basically, I've tried to explain very quickly, both in this chart and a five-minute 
document or takes five minutes to read, which you can also find on rashad.substack.com. What the big changes have been in the world of marketing and as we think about marketing going forward and why I think it's particularly relevant to this particular program is many of them are focused on customer, consumer experience or employee experience. So interestingly, exactly my point, you just took the, the, you took the lead. If you look at each box, they are short phrases and the word customer does not appear in any of them. The word consumer appears in the first one. It says people, not consumers. Yet I think that each and every box or just about each and every box is related somehow, of course, to customers and most importantly to customer experience. Is that right? Absolutely. So if you look at under and let's begin with brand, because most folks are thinking about building brands, supporting brands. Uh, the first point I make is the future of brands are increasingly experiences and not communication, which is how you make someone feel, how you make someone see, how you make someone think is more important than what you say about your brand. I'm not saying communication is not important, but it experiences are much more important. The second factor is purpose-driven, where people are asking, what does the company stand for? And that is, what does the company itself do? How do you experience the company? And third, extremely important, and I'm going to write about this separately because I've spoken to a few companies, and they've decided to actually do a lot around this. So I thought I may have hit some sort of particular vein, which is, you know, we focus a lot on things like net promoter scores, which is how our customers feel and how they rate us. But we probably don't spend enough time on what I call employee joy. And what really separates an experience for a customer, a consumer, a person is who they're dealing with, who is participating in that experience or engaging in that experience. Whether it is someone who has designed a website, if they are happy and joyful, it's likely their design will be good. Or it's someone who is a a person who is serving you in a restaurant or someone who is providing you with consulting expertise from a big company. Uh, and to a great extent, my basic belief is it's the employees who create the experience. So if you give the employees a great experience, you will have the consumers a great experience. So that's just a brand where you basically see how all of those, to your point, happen to be experiences. And, and then almost everything in audience, just reminding people that they are participants, we're no longer passive. Um, and constantly also recognizing that inside a company, how a company runs is also an experience. And to a great extent, diversity, fear-free cultures are important. And the reason I add diverse fear-free cultures versus just diverse cultures is I've come to basically believe that uh, diverse faces are very important, but not completely the only thing you need. You need to make sure that those diverse faces speak up and their voices are heard. And that requires a culture where you not only put the right people around the room, but they're free to speak up. And I'm going to sort of sink to the turd to call out what I call the turd on the table. You can have a lot of people in the room and there's something moist and brown in the center of the table. And everybody pretends it's a brownie. But I was going to say, let me guess, it's not a brownie, right? It's, it's not, not a brownie. brownie. 
So my old stuff is it's a human emission that you're basically seeing and not a brownie or some emission. It may not be a human emission. And you need to call it out. And if you do not have a culture which allows you to call it out, having just a culture or a diverse culture alone won't be enough. This is, there's so much to dive into here. By the way, just a parenthesis on diversity. We hosted uh, Mandisa Makubalu last week. Mandisa is a, um, a customer experience expert residing in uh, South Africa. And she told us the story of how the financial institutions in South Africa largely ignore consumers that live in the townships. Um, and she just told us a very personal story about how that has inspired her to um, enhance, strengthen the voice of underrepresented consumers in the overall financial services world. It was a very inspiring um, uh, discussion with her, but but just on the heels of, of her visit, it, you're, what you mentioned here, diverse, fear-free culture really resonates. I, that, this, is, this is great. Um, can I share with you my favorite box here? It's, yes. so you mentioned a couple of them. By the way, they're, they're all wonderful. The, the one, I'm going to go back to the first one, people, not consumers, and that's under the audience yes. box. So the one thing that, that resonated with me as I was reading uh, in your book, you make a great um, comparison, and I'll ask you to explain it so that I don't, I don't butcher it. You understand butchering is a great play on words for what I'm just about to describe. Here. You talk about meat. And the cow and the steak and the minced meat in the hamburger. Yes. And, and why that, what that means for how companies view consumers. Absolutely. So there, there are two ways of looking at it. So that speaks more to the third point in that audience factor, which is reaggregation, not segmentation. But I'll first speak a little bit quickly to the people, not consumers. Let's look at an amazing company that we all admire, which is Procter and Gamble. And if we look at Procter & Gamble, which is a very smart company, if they only tried to understand who they were marketing to through the lens of their brands, which is if you're looking at someone through the lens of your brand, you're looking at them as consumers, then the only thing that P&G would understand across all their brands, almost across all their brands, uh, and they've got over $30 billion brands, is my dirt removal habits. Because P&G is a dirt removal company. It removes dirt from your butt, it removes dirt from your teeth, it removes dirt from your clothes. Now, do you define yourself as a human being in any way through dirt removal habits? Is that what basically drives you? No. So if P&G tried to understand you only as a consumer, they would not have any idea of your dreams, your aspirations, your beliefs, your needs. Um, and so that's the people, not consumers. The, the meat and the butchering is... Something a lot of people are having difficulty, and because I've been in the digital space for 25 years, uh, they definitely had difficulty for the first 10, but I'm kind of surprised that they have difficulty even today. Uh, so I try to remind them that in the traditional media, which still exists, or mass media, we start with a cow and we hack it till we get a steak. What do I mean by that? We go from a mass audience to a more segmented audience. So we'll say, look, we don't want National Geographic or TV Guide old magazines. We basically want Sunset Magazine because we were trying to reach people in California who are into food and lifestyle. So we don't need to do this. Or you know what, let's not advertise on ABC. Let's basically advertise specifically on uh, Lifetime because we're trying to reach these people. So that is basically taking a large audience and making it into a smaller audience by slicing it. And that is you hack at a steak to do, or hack at a cow till you get a steak. The confusion with digital is there is no mass media in digital. And this I came to 
see about 20 years, 20, 22 years ago, when I went to Yahoo and they talked about how their homepage had more audience than the Super Bowl, right? And so I said, okay, explain to me that. And because I'm a, you don't need math for this, but I had an advanced degree in mathematics. I went back and said, I want to ask you two questions. Uh, can you tell me what the turtle analysis is, which is in this audience that you've got, how many people see the same thing again and again? And what I eventually figured out was because everybody comes to online media one at a time, you actually get, uh, if you want to actually reach everybody you wanted to reach on the Yahoo homepage, it costs five times the price of a Super Bowl commercial. And you actually reach a certain group of people, about 10% of them, for 95% of the impressions. So it's a terrible, terrible media thing if you think of it as the equivalent of the Super Bowl. And that's primarily because the difference is in online media, people come to media one at a time. There isn't a mass that arrives, right? Even if many of us are going to, certainly many of us are there all at the same time. Now, sometimes it's available on a Twitch thing, but again, not huge. And all of us are coming one at a time. So there you start with a piece of mince, but you get enough to get a hamburger. And that's why search engine marketing works. That's why micro-targeting on Facebook works. So they actually take mints, slices of mints, and make them into large enough hamburgers for marketing too. And this idea of segmented marketing and re-aggregated marketing have different approaches, different metrics, and different methods. And for half a decade or a decade, major marketers struggled with the simple mindset concept. So a lot of why I'm now working you know, across the world with people is say, hey, listen, You'll waste so much time not even getting the fundamentals right. Let me help you get the fundamental right. Give me five hours and I will improve the productivity of your company by 5% by just getting you to think straight about this. And it's really interesting how people are so hell-bent on doing things without actually thinking about what they're doing. So let's tie this back to CX. We have uh, a vast array of consumers, we call them customers, mince meat, lots of little single pieces that are just kind of out there. The idea as we listen to you is to turn it into hamburger. Yes. By the way, that tastes good. What does that mean in the customer experience world? What can companies do with this lesson that you're trying to explain? I would say there are a few things. First is make sure that you are very much in your uh, CX, EX, using the word save as a lens, S-A-V-E, uh, which you don't see here. So A is, are you solving a problem or are you creating one? Therefore, you want the user experience to be continuously solving a problem, including the user experience not being solved, you know, a problem. A is accessibility. Are you really easy to interact with? And are you everything from omnichannel and all devices, et cetera, accessibility? V is values. As someone is going through whatever it is, your app, your website, coming into your store, whatever it is, do they understand and are you telling a story about the values of your company or your brand or yourself? And then finally, E obviously is experience. How do they feel? Right. And so I basically say, are you solving a problem? Are you accessible? Are you telegraphing your values? And how does it feel? Whoa, good one. 
by the way, this could be its own podcast interview in and of itself. I mean, it's a shame to have to try to move on, but this is this is really great. Save. We're gonna we're gonna circle back at that one. Hopefully, at some other point. Really great. Thank you for that. Um, I want to make sure that we spend a little time talking about your book, Restoring the Soul of Business. Uh, there's so many wonderful ideas in your book. Um, by the way, I assume we can tell the audience the book is available on Amazon. Is that the best place yes, to get the book? Yes, it's, it's basically available everywhere. It's uh, available on Amazon. Uh, if you have any issues with Amazon, it's available at Walmart and Target.com and BarnesandNobles.com. And if you don't want any of those, it's at GLOSE.com. You can get it as an electronic book anywhere in the world excepting Iran. Got it. Perfect. By the way, my, my the Kindle version is widely... It's easy, it's easy to access to, to, to borrow from save. It's yes, and it's available in Audible. And for those who are retro, I've also got it available on CD-ROM. <laughs> CD-ROM. Yes. I have a people CD actually ROM. consume it that way, right? There, there are some people who like yeah. consuming it that way, and some libraries want it that way. So let's go back to the book. But there is something that you refer to early on in the book, uh, math and meaning. And you talk about uh, the difference of the two. There's a lot of math. There's a lot of data. There's a lot of numbers. But there's a dearth or lack of meaning. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it feeds into what you may ask me later about, but I will sort of interrelate this in time. Uh, and I link it to uh, you know, experience, customer consumer experience, is there's a basic belief that data is the answer including that data is a key to good customer experience. And I believe it happens to just be one little input and nothing more than one little input because of two reasons. One is I can give the same math to a different group of people and they will come up with a completely different solution. Every politician had exactly the same math about COVID-19. The women, Angela Merkel, you know, the head, uh, uh, the head of New Zealand, they read it one way and Trump and Bolaris read it another way. So my basic belief is if I can give the same data to somebody and two different people come up with two completely different things, how, how, how is it that data is the answer? And if data is the answer, then there's no need for people. The, the data should basically feed the computer and everything is done. And so my basic belief simply is, we are focusing so much on the math, but when you actually think about what people do when they make decisions or when they have experiences, it's about feeling. It's about meaning. Because while we are surrounded by data-driven silicon, right? So we've, we've got data-driven, we have silicon and uh, objects. We as human beings are analog carbon-based feeling people. And to me, a person in two different moods is more different than two different people. So don't ever tell me you know how you've understood a person. Because my whole stuff is really, let me, let, let me try to, why don't you explain yourself to when you are angry to when you are happy? And you, you're already talking to two different people. It's and true, right? Things that human beings don't understand and therefore they design things thinking it's machines, but we're not computing engines. And, yeah. and that's the reason why I basically have, and that's the basic premise of my book is we have gone haywire thinking that math is the answer. And I'm not anti-math. I have an advanced degree in math. 
have a degree in finance from the University of Chicago. I love math. But my basic belief is math is a tool and everything that we claim is magic is written actually by people with biases, right? So algorithms are human biases embedded in code. And, and that's, what, that's what people don't recognize. You, you refer to, um, I think the term spreadsheet. Yes. We're, we're companies that are dominated by spreadsheets. Math, 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 metrics, metrics, numbers, numbers. And there's so much more beyond that. I want to read, uh, I'm going to try to pull it up here, a section from your book that I just adored. Um, give me one second while I hopefully yeah. do this correctly. Um, this for me was a great illustration of that. Let's see if I can find it. Hang on. You talk about, of course, I don't have it ready here. Hang on. Oh, here it is. Okay. Um, companies that are drowning in data. And I think you go a little bit further, talk about process and focus on structure and rigidity yeah. and, 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 and following a straight line. You give the example of Southwest Airlines and United Airlines. And I'm going to read here. This is describing the difference of philosophies. At Southwest Airlines, I'm quoting from your book, page 163 in the Kindle version. At Southwest, Though they prioritize customers over process, so certain processes must be, be followed, view employees as family, avoid layoffs, and encourage people to express themselves creatively. At United, individual expression is discouraged. That's why, here's my favorite part, that's why a captain flying a Southwest plane might get on the intercom and provide passengers with the score of a pivotal game being played in the city they're flying to or from. On United, they act like this game doesn't exist. What a beautiful example, by the way, kind of a sad example, actually, in the case of United, but a wonderful example in the case of Southwest of just incredible different philosophies and outlook on life and, and how they view the world, how they view their passengers or customers yes. and employees, right? Absolutely. And that that is an example. I have th that is an example. I have many examples where I take the same industry and two different companies. Uh, and the reason that one particularly resonated is for the following reason. So my underlying fundamental basic belief is successful companies combine the story and the spreadsheet. So this is a you cannot run a business without a spreadsheet, but you also cannot be successful without a story. So if you think about United and and Southwest, uh, they primarily fly the same planes, which are 737s, right? That's the only thing that Southwest flies and most of United, the United States fleet is 737s. So they fly the same planes. They have to work, they go to the same airports. They work under very strict FAA rules. How is it that one airline has 2% employee turnover, the other one has over 30%? One, until COVID, and that was, you know, after this book was written, has never had a unprofitable year. And the other one has gone through three bankruptcies. Same technologies, same flights, same airports, right? Yeah. They have to run the spreadsheet. You can't have planes crashing. But the difference is the culture, the story. And successful companies combine the two. If you only have story, and you have no spreadsheet, you basically have WeWork, 
which is you get high on your own fumes and you become delusional, right? And so you need both. So my whole thing is the reason I wrote the book is we were tilting so much towards the data because the reason why we tilted towards the data is for three simple reasons. One is there's much more data now than ever before. You know, people say the last two years there's more data created than in all time. Machines can process data much faster. And data is a common language across the world in a global world, so we can understand it. The problem simply is that the reason we can't just live on data is for most companies, data is not a differentiator. It's like electricity. You can't operate without it, but you rarely differentiate with it. Yes, there are a handful, a Google, a Facebook, a few people, but not too many. So A, if you fixate only on the data, you don't have a differentiator. The second is data is usually backward looking. It's correlations and backward looking and you're trying to innovate into the future. And third and most importantly, data leaves out the messy parts of life and that's called people. As I explain to people, everything is easy, but people get in the way. So you and I would like everybody to get out of our way, but so would everybody else want to get out of the way and then all of us will be dead. And so my whole basic belief is data is a crutch, data is escape, and data is a lack of imagination, while at the same time it is essential for the future of business. So that is a big turd on the yes, table. That is a huge turd. So this whole data is the key to good act is 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 a big turd. And the same turd, like and the other one really is that there is a customer journey. Oh come on. Please tell me, how is there a customer journey? A customer journey is an invention of a marketer who doesn't know how to think about random events. Okay. So well, hold on. Just, wait, let, me, let me push you on this one. So the okay. journey, as those of us who are in this field say, which it's the, the life cycle, the start point before someone transacts, they're finding out information, they're going to the website, they're going to the store, they're looking at reviews, they're finding word of mouth. That's a journey, isn't it? Well, let, let me ask you this. Have you written and reviewed about products you have not used you probably have have you sometimes basically bought a product and then started looking at the advertising because after you bought the product you started reading articles and advertising as a way of a confirmation bias okay so what came first sometimes you buy the product and then the advertising impacts you sometimes you basically talk about a product and become an influencer before you've actually bought the product right uh, you sometimes basically go into a store, see something, but then you don't do anything and then you go online. Sometimes you see something online and then you go into the store. So explain to me with all these different people doing all these different things, all simultaneously, what exactly is this journey that we're talking about? Okay, there are journeys, many journeys. So there is journeys and there, and then you can maybe consolidate down into three or four journeys. But when I see a journey, I said, like, what is this one journey? There are at least four or five or six consolidated journeys if you re-aggregate. Because thinking about re-aggregated, right? There may be a thousand journeys or a million journeys, but you can't market to a million journeys. You can't think about the world in a million journeys. So you say, okay, these four journey metaphors capture most of the journeys. And that's why I'm not against journeys, but I'm against journey. Singular. I got it. It's the it's the concept of thing going back to what you described of the mincemeat, it's turning mincemeat. it into a hamburger, yeah. taking the yeah, pieces. Yeah, so what are your re-aggregated journeys? And that's why that becomes extremely important. And that's one of the reasons why this particular slide and this piece, among other pieces, has sort of happened. And you know, if you also think about 
of user interface and things like that, one of the things I figured out, and this is just getting like, just looking at readership and feedback, is when I take my writing, and in addition to my writing, I provide a one slide description of the writing, people like it much more than just reading the writing. So this ABCD is a great, uh, we are both looking at describing and engaging with people, but it actually has 1500 words attached to it. And the 1500 words attached to it make the, the combination much more powerful than just one or the other. Uh, and so now what I'm now thinking about as I write this weekly thought letter is, can I like at the end of every letter, think about a slide that captures what I just wrote? Because I just did one. So this one was you know, three weeks ago. This most recent week, I talked about rethinking presentations. Yeah. And in there, I actually hand drew what a presentation should look like. And that exploded. Okay. And part of it, I first shared a, a link at a cartoon uh, to the piece. And then I basically shared a big statement, say, don't say no, say no to presentations. And then I shared that with this visual just to see what took off. Everything took off, but the thing with the visual took off much more than the cartoon or just the article. Hmm. And so now I'm also beginning to realize, not that I didn't know this, but we are in a highly visual pictorial age. And people basically first look at the signs, they look at the pictures, and then they'll read the words, but they don't read the words first. So true. Let me, we, we kind of already did a segue into what we do in the final third with our guests, which is uh, ask them a series of three questions. Uh, the first of which is myths, your CX myth buster. By the way, you've already, I think, uh, we, we, we've talked. Yeah, we, 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 we touched on this. Can I, I'm going to improvise just for a second sure. uh, because uh, we talked about the myth of the customer journey, singular, and of course, the, the notion that data is the key to good CX. That was your other myth buster. We've we, 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 uh, centered on that throughout yeah. the, the, this interview. Can I, I want to improvise and ask you, what is another CX turd on the table? I think another CX turd on the table is that we are going to have to think increasingly about EX versus CX and that EX comes before CX. And EX is employee experience. That's a turd for you. This, you're bucking the trend here. You're going against the, the common grain. The uh, social justice warriors on LinkedIn are going to have a field day with this one. That's, that's perfectly fine because the social warrior justices can come on their horses and I shall be waiting in my fort. <laughs> why, is, why do you believe that it is a CX turd? It's basically a CX turd because I truly believe that we are, we are not truly understanding that everything begins with the employees of the company. And if you make the employee journey both at work, the employee journey and ability to satisfy customers and consumers, the employee journey to live in a fear-free, diverse culture, those things will benefit customer experience and consumer experience more than anything that any customer and consumer experience can design. Well, and it's not either or. You start with that. But at the core, we forget that. You know, it's basically, it's like creating the machine and forgetting that there is a soul in it. 
creating a machine and forgetting that there's a soul in it. Yeah. Right. And the soul of the people. Mm -hmm. Right. And, 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 and even when you try to design experiences, which are increasingly being designed, either because there's not enough in certain industries, enough employees that people can hire, or because it's cheaper to replace carbon with silicon, even in places where we create experiences that eliminate the need to interact with people, we have to keep in mind that the people who design that best are people who are happy. I like it. For uh, time's sake, I want to ask you uh, about some CX quotes that you want to share with our audience. You have two that you that, that resonate with you. Yeah. So one is less is more, and then the second one is what you leave out informs what you leave in or leave on. Um, so less is more is a couple of things. Um, there's a famous quote, I believe it's Hemingway, who said, I would have written you a shorter letter if I had more time. <laughs> and uh, I, I will, you know, when people read what I write on Sundays, I try to write it so it will take you less than six to eight minutes to read. In order to do that, uh, like if you look at the ABCDE of marketing, there's more in there than in many books, right? I spend four hours every Saturday, three to four hours every Saturday, writing what takes you six to eight minutes to read, besides, you know, 40 years of experience. Now, I could just write stuff in an hour or 50, 30 minutes. It would take you maybe twice as much to read, and it would be half as good. And so the whole idea is, we are in a world where we believe volume is important and i believe no it's scarcity and so my whole stuff is again going back to the food thing i don't traffic in selling cows i sell ounces of kobe beef and what's particularly cool is i don't even sell it it's available for free i offer up because the real price i'm extracting from people and this is whether it's an experience or anything else we should not forget i'm extracting your life juice six to eight minutes of your life and so my stuff is, of course, I'm charging. I'm asking you to spend six to eight minutes reading my stuff. Okay. And that's the key thing that people, my stuff is, if you're talking about respecting people, well, leave out shit. Why are you making them go through a whole bunch of shit that they don't need? Uh, so that that is less is more. And then what do you leave out in forms what you leave on? Is when you start making these decisions about what's in and what's out, you're also showing a sign of respect which is I purposely leave out stuff so people can then fill in their own thing. So when I present, usually I present without slides. If I'm forced to present slides, I present the type of slides you just saw, right? Uh, and, and my basic belief is that the maximum slides you'll ever see from me in my life will be six or seven, uh, not even nine. I try to keep it at four or five. And part of why I do that is my whole stuff is I believe you all know the rest of the stuff or you can fill it in. One of the reasons I don't use visuals is because if I use visuals, people can't fill, bring their imagination to what I'm saying. So when I'm speaking, they bring themselves, they bring their own experiences, they bring their attention. And it's odd, right? We talk about respecting folks, but we A, overwhelm them with stuff, which is not less is more. And then we spoon feed them shit they don't need or we basically say think this way and my old stuff is i don't want to think this way uh, and so that's the, the the reason for that and and a big part of the best experience is let go you know 
just let go. You know, it's one of those famous Kahil Gibran things is, you know, if you love someone, let them go. If they come back, that's great. So in the same way, you need loose experiences and not tight experiences. I love this. This, this, this one is thought-provoking. It's not so easy. It's not, no, not, so so, not, not so easy. See, here's the stuff. If you think about it, and, and this is like, this is stuff that, there are a couple of things. You've got to be into two or three things. So if, you, if you're into like music, especially classical music, let's say if you think Beethoven was great, if you look at what Beethoven did right at the very end of his life, which were his string quartets, they were the simplest things and the most complex things he ever did. He didn't need, he didn't have a symphony. He had nothing. He just had like four instruments. When you think about Monet's best work, things like the water lilies, are you seeing water lilies? Are you seeing brilliance in paint? There are no water lilies there, right? And so what tends to happen is when you get really, really good, you become really sparse because you've honed your skill set. And that's what shows things you know, in, in this world, which is if you're really good, you can do stuff. Like I'm not really good, but people think I'm really good because I can take huge things and put it down into 1500 words, right? And that's because I probably am lazy, but there is a, over years, there's a certain skill set that comes. And my whole stuff is, why do we have to always say more? Right? Because if you think about it, more is really a big thing. And I obviously you'd say more is good if I have more real estate, I have more money. But I said, yes, but at some particular stage, if you got more money and you're pursuing more money, it's a lack of imagination. You're going to die. Is this the way you want to spend your life on the plumbing versus the poetry? That's a great CX quote, by the way. That's a great one. I like that. Thank you. I'm so curious. Who is your CX hero? So there are there are many, but I'm going to give you one. Um, it's a gentleman by the name of Richard Schwartz, who works at a company called Medallia today. But Richard and I worked together when Richard was working at Publicis Health, and he's actually the person who introduced me to the concept of EX employee experience uh, and uh, and you know and what medallia does is focusing a lot on how to get people it's like a experiential cloud it's trying to get people to understand or uh, get companies to understand whether how employees feel about people or customers feel or consumers feel and so I thought that would be a good person to be focusing I on. like it that that's wonderful. We we certainly know of Medallia, yeah. um, and I like it that uh, this person is not of the normal group of individuals that are suggested by so many of our our, our guests. We have ones that appear and appear again and again. Yes, yes. this is a little I, off the. I, I off wanted the someone like uh, someone off the beaten path. Exactly, exactly. Um, as we wrap up here, I want to remind our audience: the book "Restoring the Soul of Business: Staying Human in the Age of Data." Get it, read it, it's easy, it's accessible, which is one of the four S-A-V-E acronym, it's, it's part of it, it's accessible. Correct? It is, and, and it is, not only is it accessible, available everywhere, and it's relatively cheap, you can get it if you're willing to wait as cheap as six, seven bucks for the hard copy if you wait 10 days. Uh, I'm sorry, with shipping it's about nine bucks, but mostly it's 14 bucks. But as important, the reason it's accessible is you can read any chapter in any order. So in effect, if there's a topic you want, you can just go to that, uh, because I'm trying to make yeah. it just for what it is. Perfect. And you made mention, and I'm a subscriber to it, but for those that are not yet subscribers, how do we 
get access to your weekly thoughts? So my weekly thoughts are, it's at Rishad, R-I-S-H-A-D dot Substack, which is S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. Um, and that's basically my Sunday thought letter. Uh, it's not a newsletter. I don't comment on the news. I share things like the ABCD of marketing. Um, and that is basically, uh, I've now written 55 weeks in a row. Um, and it is very popular. And what I particularly am proud of is not only the fact that it's read by about 300 CEOs, but it's read by about 1,000 students. And most recently, this past week, the incoming class of Denison, the president of Denison University, started with some things from my thought letter. So he's one of the people who read my thought letter and says, this is why liberal education is important. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and so I find that's particularly interesting is my ability to influence the next generation is as important as to influence the CEOs who might be able to give me assignments. That's wonderful. And Denison, it's all free, completely free. D Denison uh, is a great school in Ohio, for those that aren't aware. So you, it's, a, it's a liberal arts college. Been there, wonderful place to visit. Um, I want to close with this, is, Paul. This is a this is a, a in some ways so easy to wrap up, yet in some ways it's so difficult because of the breadth of things that we discussed here, right? <laughs> Absolutely, I, I've been in awe to be honest with you, uh, Richard. You, you're an amazing guest, an amazing person, and I think Thank you. I, you, and the way that you can take such complex matters and break them down for for a mere mortal like myself to understand them is is a gift. So. I really, really want to say thank you for sharing your insights and your knowledge, and you do it in such a humble manner, mate. It's 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 amazing. Thank you so so much. Well, thank you. My whole basic belief is, if you're smart enough, you realize you're not that smart. So that <laughs> helps. I think I it was it Einstein that said, if you can't explain it to a two year old, you don't know it well enough. It was a quote along those lines, right? Yes. Like the, the, the entire idea really is, how can you simplify without dumbing down? Yeah. Right. And if you can't teach something easily, do you really know it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks, Neil. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rishad, I think if I were to wrap today's session up, there were so many great, there's great sound bites in here, <laughs> uh, but there's a wealth of, of ideas and concepts. Not all of them are easy, um, but there's lots of things that, that certainly provoke thought. Uh, the one that you just left us with, I, I think I enjoyed the most, which is don't focus on the plumbing, focus on the Poetry. Poetry. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, one of the chapters in my book is putting the poetry into the PowerPoint. Thank you for putting poetry into our lives, whether we consume it in your book, in your Sunday thoughts, um, the things we read on LinkedIn, et cetera. We're going to look forward to reading you more and uh, consuming more of your, your thoughts and ideas. I hope you will come back at some point. I would love um, to. We, we really enjoyed having you. Thank you so much. We're going to let you get on with your day. Uh, wishing you safe travels. Thank you so much. Uh, absolutely. And I, uh, I, thank you to both of you. Absolutely. So this is Fireside Chats. Without the fires, wrapping up Friday, September 3rd. Once again, audiences, you always get asked by us. If you like our content, please rate and review it. Not just to rate and review it, just because. Not because we want to drown in data that we're not going to do anything with, as we've learned from Rashad. But give us some feedback. We want to know kind of how we're doing and what we can do with it. I'm paying attention here, I'm paying attention to, to Rashad's lessons. Um, share feedback with us. We'd love to know how you think and feel. Uh, thank you once again. Fireside Chats Without the Fires. Tune in 
next week for an, another sensational session. Thank you so much. The episode is over, but the conversation continues. Please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Post a comment and subscribe to stay on the leading edge of customer experience. To get in touch or be a guest, follow us on Twitter at ChatsFires or on LinkedIn or in your podcast repository of choice. Thank you.